Howdy, yokes, and welcome back to Beginner Eggs. I'm Tyler Carlin. And I'm Ethan Edgehill. And today is Monday. And this is Bacon and Eggs. So buy your own parts back from the Jawas. And defeat a Mudhorn. Because today we're bringing you The Mandalorian. That was sweet. That was so good. Did you listen back to it? It's so good. What? Okay. The abandoned ship or abandoned all hope. What do you mean, did I listen back to it? Yeah. I mean, did you just like set it in or were you like, oh, I gotta make this sound good? Because it sounded good. Yeah. I mean, I, I I had to listen to it while I was putting it in. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking this week about chapter two, The Child, directed by Rick Famuyu. Oh my gosh. Famuyua. Uh, it came out 148 days ago. On November 15th, 2019, I literally do not understand how this show has been out for this long. Uh, I got a 92% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. They only do a critic score for these. Uh, and then, of course, there's no box office or anything like that. Um, Ethan. Tyler. Compared to episode one, do you feel like we're going in a better direction or a worse direction? Because I have, I've watched it three times now, and my opinion changed each time. So I'm curious to yours. I think this is still a very slow episode, but it shows promise it does show promise i know my first time around i was like that is very weird to put a filler episode in a second yeah 100 percent. it's still weird <laughs> uh it's not a filler episode it shows this is to me this is an a for effort okay and i want to no and i want to it's not a filler episode but it takes a long time for the things set up in this episode to pay off so it's still like even the second time i'm watching it because i i watched the first season like i think i watched the first seven episodes in like an afternoon an afternoon yeah and then the next one the next week um god i'm having trouble materializing thoughts this morning and and, and now watching through it again and i'm still kind of trying to remember like i remember how it ends but not like most of how we got to how it ends yeah i definitely remember like the final obviously the final final scene but also there's a scene in like a underground river and that's all i'll say yeah no i remember all of that last i guess that's all the last episode yeah the thing, yeah, the thing I'm with, with the droid I, and the sad part and all that. Yeah, 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 I don't remember how we get there, but I will say, so this episode, like, breaking it down, it starts on this, like, brilliant, brilliant shot of, like, these bugs, like, or these, like, lizard things following them, and then there's, like, a like a whirring noise, and they all, like, run away. I thought that was a really well done, like, because yeah. it's, like, a subtle noise. Like, like, they run away before you hear it. Yeah. So it's, like, I thought that was really cool, and then these other, like, there's a lot of unspoken stuff here at the beginning. Where these other like bounty hunters show up and they're trying to, it looks like not just claim the child, but also claim Mando. Yeah, I I think that somebody's gotten an idea at this point that maybe our hero is not as uh, stalwart as he may have said. Yes, and we get our first glimpse of the, Star Wars does this a lot where it asks you to read between the lines instead of just telling you things. Which is something I both love and hate about Star Wars. Yeah. Sometimes I just want you to lay it on me, man. Just give me some exposition and tell me, like, like have this scene happen and then the next scene explain why that scene was relevant. And you never get that in Star Wars. But we first see a glimpse of here, and we get a lot more later in the episode, is that both Mando... Well, really what you see here is that Mando's survival is at its best chances when he is defending the child. 
Yeah. He's, he's immediately taken on this protective instinct. And, like, he's still claiming that he wants to get back and turn the market alive or whatever. But, like, you can tell immediately, like, he's not cool with that. He's definitely not cool with that. And I don't think he expressly says it. I think, like, people keep saying to him, or I guess he just talks to the one guy. It's like, are you going to collect a handsome reward? Better to turn it in alive. And he just kind of, like, changes the subject. Yeah. I mean, I think he can trust Quill pretty well. Yeah. So, like, Quill definitely knows what's up. Quill is a masterclass of a character of, like, we're going to develop this sort of lawful neutral character who is selfish in that he's only interested in protecting his own valley yeah so it's like he's not interested in protecting like like he's willing to help anybody who comes to the territory regardless of their like big picture motives as long as it helps him achieve his goal Right. Which I think is, like, really interesting. Like, he's totally cool with Mando turning in the child, doing and doing whatever with the child. As long as he gets to keep the Blurg, he's good. As long as, yeah, as long as he gets to keep the Blurg. And I love what he says at the end. There's, like, I spent a life of servitude to not be in anyone's service. Right. I thought that was brilliant. Because yeah, it's so, so rare that we see a character who has achieved their, like, life goal and is just living in it. Well, because especially in, in the Star Wars universe, like, we have only ever experienced characters involved in war. Right. It's called Star Wars, not, like, how green is my star. Right. So, like... Pax Apollo. Right. Yeah, you're not going to get, you know, a whole lot of the idea of just, like, people chilling. But this guy, living in the Outer Rim, probably, you know, got away from the whole war thing. It was just like, I'm going to park up in this random planet and... And This is my home now. And just hang out. Yeah. I have spoken. I have... This is the way. And And he's very similar to the Mandalorians in that way, in that he's like, my way of life is my religion is unshakable yeah Um, more so even the mandalorians well more so than mando i think the mandalorians are pretty firm in their beliefs but i think mando the whole like show is him deconstructing this i'm a mandalorian to i'm like a person basically right which starts in this episode and and you know this is where we get the introduction the proper introduction of baby yoda the child the child he eats a frog he eats a frog he's so cute i yeah i I, like (laughs) The whole time since the since I first saw the memes, I was like, and this is gonna get old. And it just hasn't. It's just still so good. It just I hasn't s- gotten old. I saw that Kate has claimed Baby Yoda on our uh Disney Plus account. Yeah. That's that's kinda unfair. I did that she for said, her when I set her oh, thing wow. up. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's kind of And we'll she see. was like she was like, Oh, you gave me baby Yoda. I was like, yeah. this was an this was an easy dub, man. Easy win. <laughs> <laughs> Who is yours? I forget yours. I know Emily's Moana. And Mine's mine is I'm BB8. BB8. Okay. I wouldn't have thought you guys both. Uh, well, it is Disney, so I'm not surprised that you're both Star Wars. Well, I know. So I set the thing up, and I think I think like BB8. It just made me BB8. Okay. And I was like. Okay, cool. I don't care. And then, because like nothing was out on Disney Plus when I set it up, like it wasn't right. even working. It was like day one, right? And Disney was like, "Oh, our server yeah. rooms." Could and so not I was like, handle this. "I was like, oh, okay." And then I opened it like a month or two later or whatever, whenever this was ending. And I was like, "I should make Kate a profile so she can watch whatever." And it doesn't make tell me I want to watch Brave four hundred times. Does she watch Brave a lot? Uh, she's been on a. Just like a princess thing recently. That's I respect that. I'm I'm all in on. Kate's I'm not a bra- I'm not a brave fan. More so than any of these things that I like to complain about with Disney. I did genuinely did not enjoy that movie. Really? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't do it for me. I uh, like it's. I get it. It's charming. It's cute. Like they're all Scottish and whatever. But it's like if you told me it wasn't. So this is this is the same way I feel about Wreck It Ralph. But like backwards, I guess. Like if you told me it wasn't a Pixar movie. If you told me this was like Walt Disney animation. I think I would like it more but it doesn't hold up to the Pixar standard for me. That's so interesting to me because I feel like in the past few years, Disney has been putting out bangers compared to what 
This uh, wasn't the past so. few years, though. This was like 2012. That's true. That's true. But like Frozen Moana and Frozen 2 are probably all on some objective standard better than like Onward. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it, but that's not I mean. It's just like Pixar has had such a high bar for so long. Like As much as I want, I, I want to come on here and talk about like other oh, Pixar movies are overrated or whatever. I do love a lot of them and like Brave doesn't cut it next to Toy Story. Yeah, I will say uh, I was surprised when Onward came out on digital and the internet. Like, I feel like I follow a pretty well-rounded part of film Twitter and everybody who saw Onward for the first time on digital was like, I absolutely love this movie. This is amazing. For the, for the, I've seen like maybe one person who was like, I really didn't like this. And the thing was, I think that Onward And maybe was, it's because we have a lower standard if it's like straight to DVD. We definitely but. do. It's a standard based on how much you pay for it. And if it's streaming on Disney Plus, plus that bear that that is a zero amount even though you pay for disney plus monthly right for for you like my brain categorizes that as as a zero amount i'll watch whatever on netflix yeah like there's no there's no sunk cost there right i mean there's there's a time cost and if the movie sucks then i'm not going to finish it if i'm if i'm sitting there halfway through some netflix movie i've never heard of and it's bad i'm just gonna be like pause <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't like this i'm not finishing. yeah this is dumb <laughs> and then get it get it. go ahead but so yeah, for Disney, it's like not not for Disney for for streaming. I, Onward was ba- marketed badly. Like it just straight up was. It was, oh, it was a way the, better film. The trailers were not great. They didn't focus on the right thing in the trailers, and the and the marketing campaign was strange. And that like they did the whole like oh come see it early for like leap day thing. But like I never saw that advertised anywhere. Yeah, that was like no, a weird either. word of mouth thing. But it was like a really cool concept of like the whole idea of like come spend it. You know, spend an extra. You get an extra day this year. So here's our tale about spending an extra day with someone you care about. And that's like right. even even just now I'm kind of tearing up thinking about that. Right. But, like, how good just that is. say that. Just give me an Instagram ad for that, and I would have cared about this movie. But then people the are being like, with- oh, this is a brand new movie on Disney Plus. This has never happened before. And then they're watching. It and being like, oh, well, this was good. This is really good. I think my other issue with Onward is not not that I have issues, and I don't want to spend too much time on Onward because I actually have a lot to say about this episode of The Mandalorian. But the other thing with Onward is, had they marketed it as like a like a basically a D story, I would have been so in. I think they would have that would have gone worse. Oh, they would have alienated a certain part of the audience, and I was going to see it anyway, so they didn't need to do that to me. Yeah, but they could have sold me so hard. Like if the logo had a D twenty in it somewhere like blatantly obvious that would have gotten me so good and and, that, and some of the posters that have come out since then have that d20 in like the sky or whatever and it's i would buy one of those posters and put them in my office and i mean i think it's just a case of like marketing is great and like the the research development all that behind marketing is great but also like you sort of can't tell what people are going to be about until it happens oh yeah i think you, i mean that's that's investing in anything right? you see that you all the time <laughs> with movies and stuff though that like suddenly it'll be they'll like cut different trailers the day after the movie comes out right people will be like oh wow really enjoyed this part and then they're like frick it's not, not what we were going for right but i want to get back to episode two of the mandalorian um but yeah no baby yoda um i want to know can you explain to me why mando this is the only thing that doesn't make sense why did mando just attack the jawas because they stole his stuff no they didn't they stole his stuff after he attacked them he attacked them they knock him off the fortress they steal his stuff did they attack i am maybe we i don't see him go back to his spaceship until after he's attacked them to see that it's like ransacked oh they probably attacked the child no he's like sniping them from a ridge oh i don't know unseen past tragedies that's star wars to that's a star wars to a t of like we're gonna make prequels who's qui-gon jinn who's the which Han- is the thing i have, i always love about star wars and, and this is why i think one of my favorite scenes 
in a Star Wars universe, even though I'm not crazy about the movie. One of my favorite scenes in Star Wars universe, from like an aesthetic standpoint, like a storytelling standpoint, like an acting standpoint, is the scene where in at the beginning of Rogue One, when, what's his name, Krennic? Yeah. Flies into the place where Jenner says dad is living. Uh-huh. The like Dale Star Anderson. Wars valley. Yeah. And, and and we just we were hit with so much like you you're a corn farmer now what a waste of your talents you could come back to the war and just this whole like there's no explanation whatsoever it's just like we're gonna tell you in one sentence the whole plot like yeah the, this Galen Erso guy is very intelligent right and should not be co- farming corn or whatever he's farming oh I mean he's probably a moisture farmer it didn't look like that planet needed moisture yeah they're probably shipping it somewhere else that was my whole thing about why would you moisture farm on Tatooine like import the moisture from Endor like I was gonna say because moisture is heavy but <laughs> in space nothing's heavy also everything is heavy <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah no I don't know I guess they were moisture farmers because it was a city so poor although they're not they're not that far from Moss Eisley where there is a spaceport uh but a city so poor that they couldn't afford to import that's my, my, my they're moist no guess. that's the thing is they're moisture farmers and this is what we have to remember sometimes about star wars is that while he created a wonderful universe for us george lucas is a madman yes he they're moisture farmers because that sounds like star wars yeah that's like the first star wars detail you get and there's just so many like there's so much that's what i i do love about star wars is there's so much lore that comes from the fact that george lucas cannot string two thoughts together in the right order No, I know. That's actually what I was thinking about when I was watching this episode. I was like, the problem with Star Wars is that all you get is a three-paragraph text crawl, like, explaining what's going on, and then nothing else. You don't even and get a crawl for The Mandalorian. No, you don't get a crawl. But, like, that's what you get for not even the, the spinoffs, just, like, the main episodic episodes. This is where, like... Tolkien, because I've been reading Lord of the Rings, is so much better because he gives you like six chapters of this is the history of the war. And there's a bonus book about the history of the war. But that's because the whole story is contained in writing as opposed to Star Wars, which there is writing versions of it, but they're just like unreadable. And that's the thing is like, in some respects, George Lucas is the best screenwriter to ever live and also the worst. Because he put three paragraphs of text before his movie. No, but that, that, that I think is a flash of genius. <laughs> That is, somebody told him, when he started, when he went to film school or whatever, somebody told him, like, hey, man, if you're doing book adaptations, like, you know, you can't put everything in there, bro. Like, because this is the 60s when George Lucas is in film school. And they're just like, yo, if you're going to make a book into a movie, bro, like, you can't, you can't put everything in there. You just, there's some things are going to have to get cut. And so George Lucas was like, well, I'm not adapting a book. I'm just going to pretend like I am. Right. So some things are going to have to get cut. Yeah. Have you seen, George Lucas is a genius. Have you seen uh, his first film? Not American Graffiti, like his very first like film school project no i haven't oh my god it is amazing i will send it to you it is fascinating have you seen Did american you... graffiti no i haven't seen american graffiti ah uh, you would I... love american graffiti yeah is that right up my alley yeah it's like a harrison ford movie about drag racing that sounds like my kind of thing yeah been, and like been... like bopping music sounds like george lucas's kind of thing i mean tr- truth be told here's the thing is it's become memed a lot that cantina band song slaps <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason it's been memed is because that is a catchy melody. And I know George Lucas didn't write that. John Williams did, and it's John Williams, and like, it's no, John but Williams. 
what it, like the more you learn about George Lucas, the more you learn that he would not have worked with anything but the greatest composer alive. Right? Why would he? Because like, I mean, why does why doesn't John Williams write every movie? Because like, <laughs> if he was given a hundred million dollar budget or whatever to, and it wasn't, it was like twenty million for A New Hope, right? Uh, yeah. I mean that that may even be generous. That was this was nineteen seventy seven. Right. If he was given whatever budget, like he if if John Williams if he was given twenty million dollars and John Williams was nine nineteen million dollars, he would have paid. It for was it. eleven million dollars. 11 million mm-hmm. if that was so that's the amount if john williams cost him 10 million dollars to be in that movie he would have made everything happen for a million dollars i'm sure and that's probably what happened <laughs> no i don't think john williams was worth that much then no he was probably like yeah oh cool space movie Fuck. john williams john williams needed george lucas just as much as george lucas needed john williams yeah john williams was like yeah i did the jaws thing that was two notes what do you need oh yeah hey uh let's let's role play this phone call real quick <laughs> Hey, George, uh, Steven Spielberg told me you were going to call. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Is that Steven Spielberg was like, this George Lucas guy going to be something special. I'm Steven Spielberg. <laughs> do you remember when we worked together on Jaws? George Lucas didn't have anything to do with Jaws. No, John Williams did. Oh, no, I was uh, that was that was me as Steven Spielberg addressing the world. Oh, yes. Okay. I thought you were telling... I thought that was Steven Spielberg telling John Williams to work with George Lucas. We should just review American Graffiti as a canonical Star Wars film because it includes Harrison Ford. <laughs> I want you to, uh, that, that is like the only thing that makes it not canonically Star Wars. Every movie that doesn't star a Star Wars actor is canonically Star Wars because Star Wars is a true story that took place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The actors don't. That's yeah, but it's not. A, it's not a documentary. That's true. It is like a retelling. Well, even no, sorry. Even it, yeah, it's it's a it's a reenactment. Yeah. So you can have Harrison Ford. What? They they, they well. couldn't go back in time and and like send cameras to Star Wars. It's not found footage. That's true. Additionally, two people play Han Solo, and two people play well, like a bunch of people play Anakin. I'll tell you, man. Solo underrated. I I I've not watched it since. Still theater. smacks, dude. It's on Netflix right now. Yeah. Ah, uh, it's good. It's still it still hits. I enjoy. I, I cannot. Exp- I, I still can't really put words around how much I enjoyed the performance that Alden Ehrenreich gives as young Harrison Ford. He's perfect for the part. Yeah, Donald Glover nails it. Yeah, the whole supporting cast. I I enjoyed that one. I I know it is an unpopular opinion. I think what a lot of people forget is that when George and this is probably because a lot of Star Wars fans like weren't even alive for the prequels to come out. But like when George sat down to write the prequels, he didn't have to write the story of Anakin. He could have very much written them more about Chewbacca and Han Solo. I think Anakin needs to be present, but it didn't have to be in such a way that like, like it could have been three completely separate movies. One about Anakin, one about Han Solo, and one about whomever, Chewbacca. Yeah. You know, sort of. And then like they come together at the beginning of A New Hope. Well, and the uh, thing is, and the, here, the, the thing with the prequels is the prequels are literally the Fantastic Beast movies. Just, we have decided to forgive the prequels and not to forgive the Fantastic Beast movies. Well, the Fantastic Beast movies aren't done yet. But I have a feeling we will end up forgiving them because I have a feeling the last one will be pretty good. Very similar to Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, it's like, I, I can remember watching, and this is the same way I feel about Fantastic Beast 1 and 2, watching Phantom Menace in the theater and being like, that was awesome. Phantom Menace in the theater was like the best experience. And then watching movie. Attack of the Clones in the theaters and, and being like, two years three years older and being like that was all right no i loved attack of the clones it didn't it didn't i still think it's the worst one probably is it like Uh, it's got it's not a well-told story no but you gotta remember what was that 2001 Mm -hmm. so i was i was what nine yoda with a lightsaber fighting count dooku like i understand as an adult that like one great action scene does not a film make uh because it's not even a good action scene. yeah can you teach mary clay that (laughs) Uh, but 
Yoda like fighting Dooku with a lightsaber. No, it's was... cool. It's a cool movie. But the, that stuff, the, the, the choreography holds up. Everything else does not. Yeah. But I want to I want to bring that back to the Mandalorian because episode two, when he's fighting the Mudhorn, I think this is so interesting. The only moments in that battle where he has any success at all are when he is either defending the child because he pushes him out of the way and then the mudhorn runs into the rock right or when he is or when the child is defending him so like when right. baby yoda lifts the mudhorn and he like stabs him with the vibra blade right which is the perfect like it they, goes it starts and ends the same way the episode does because it starts with him trying to fix whatever's wrong with his arm yeah and baby yoda being like oh i can help let me help. i can force heal yeah and him being like Mm-mm, no mm, get back in your egg yeah and then it ends with him realizing that, like, man, this thing might be strong. It's pretty pretty powerful. Yeah. I know it ate that frog earlier, and it was adorable. <laughs> I also, uh, thinking about the episode, it shows really well that, like, you talked about this last week, and I had not thought about this the first time through. I don't know how I didn't, because it's so blatantly obvious uh, that, like, Mando is a pretty, like, he's obviously the best bounty hunter, but it's like, the bounty hunters are college football, and Manda, like, the Mandalorians are the NFL, and he is the worst Mandalorian, and the best bounty hunter by a mile. Yeah. So, like, it's not even close with the other bounty hunters, but in terms, like, there are plenty of creatures in the galaxy that could put him in his place. Yeah, plenty. He, he... He, he almost loses, loses in this episode. He almost loses to the Jawas. Yeah, he loses to the Jawas big time and gets embarrassed in a trade negotiation with the Jawas. Yeah, which is just the most Star Wars thing you could possibly do. <laughs> what have a Mandalorian negotiate? Have trade a Mandalorian with trade? Have trade negotiations go violent between Jawas and a Mandalorian? <laughs> the Jawas. He had to use aggressive negotiations. Yeah, and it didn't work. And and it's so frequent that like Mando is learning. Like I think we the viewer are under the impression that like any other Mandalorian would just come into this conversation and would just be able to kill all the Jawas, like would find a way to destroy the fl- fortress. Correct. Or or would just know how to negotiate. But he can't do either well. Correct. But he is also, this, this episode very much rams home how much he is not a Jedi. Go on. Expand on that. Because the Jedi would have just m- absolutely murked that Mudhorn in one second. Oh, yeah. Just lightsaber. Yeah. Because I mean, that's what Attack of the Clones is, right? That's what uh, that's what every Jedi scene ever is. <laughs> every every Jedi versus Elemental scene. No one, because that was the thing for the until until it went bad, until it broke bad for Obi Wan Kenobi at the end of Revenge of the Sith, and he had to kill almost kill Anakin Skywalker. No Jedi had ever thought about whether or not to just absolutely wreck something. Well, okay, but think about it. Attack of the Clones is actually a really good reference point here because you're talking about how Mando is not a Jedi. In Attack of the Clones, we have a, like, rogue, doesn't fit in Jedi who mercs the Tusken Raiders, which are the NFL version of Jawas. Correct. Jawas are, like, the high school football version. Right. Anakin's a proper Hall of Famer here. (laughs) Right. Uh, Absolutely mercs them. And Talking about, like, Tom Brady, Jerry Rice numbers, man, like... And then later on in the same movie, Anakin, Padme, and Obi-Wan absolutely wreck giant beasts yeah so it like it really goes to show and then like of course baby yoda makes quick work of the mudhorn without a lightsaber with just the force and without being able to speak like with the most baby understanding of the force correct you could possibly have mercs the mudhorn so yeah i think that's the thing is like mando here gets real 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 close to losing to like the first boss right yeah he rolls like a deep like a five he's worthless he's not but like he's he is He's better than all the other bounty hunters. Correct. <laughs> because he's 
His co- so the important thing for him being a Mandalorian is the code and nothing else. That is the yeah. reason that he is a better bounty hunter than every other bounty hunter is because he is impartial up until this point. He he only cares about straight lines. Right. He's the initiate. Correct. There's no like. There's there's no wavering there. There's no like it's it's what makes him a better bounty hunter than somebody like you know that would roll with with Lando Calrissian. Right. There's no motivation outside the the his law. Right. I don't think he cares about the money. Right. Because he he flies an older ship. He only wears Beskar armor, which like he has to collect by doing jobs that reward Beskar. Yeah. Uh, with, like, dude, he's just he's grinding. That's all he's doing. He is trying to get better gear. Yeah. He is trying to knock off small enemies to get better gear this dude lives inside a role-playing game and knows it yeah because he is a random guy playing the class of a mandalorian yeah he is not like a born and bred mandalorian he is like a prisoner of war mandalorian he's i mean he's very much like anakin the scene where the scene he's he's pulled from his poor life where he knows love and brought into a world where he must be impartial be loveless right the thing that was weird for me in this episode was when he resists against the the getting the sigil is that this episode is that this episode no No, it's not he doesn't never mind i'm just gonna cut that out ignore me i have that point to make when he resists against getting the sigil i do think the sigil that he ends up getting is he doesn't like i don't want to say it we'll get we'll get there when we get there yeah i have it's it's strange feelings about that one oh i think it's i think this fight scene with the mudhorn is despite having way too much mud is the best like I love the storytelling aspects of it. I don't think it's choreographed particularly like perfect or anything. Uh, I just think it's a great scene. Facts. I mean, yeah, John Favreau did very well with this series in ways that I never could have expected. Yes, but it also is very not as good as I was hoping. I'm liking it much better the second time around, even though I'm complaining about it more the second time around. I think we're being more critical, but I, I really like. Yeah, I guess it's important to say that like I'm really enjoying watching it. I'm enjoying. I I. I only sort of enjoyed watching it the first time. Yeah, I felt like I had to this watch is, it the first time around. Yeah, this is not a... I don't think this is a bingeable show. And maybe that's why they didn't release it as binge content. Truthfully, I, I think that if I had watched it week to week, I would have enjoyed it more. I've heard a lot of people say that the first three episodes, because they're so short, gosh, these episodes are short. I get it. Right, it's going to straight to a streaming service. When it ended, I was, when this episode ended, I was like, what? <laughs> I don't have over. to deal with another 40 minutes of this? Right. Uh, but I've heard people say, that the first three episodes are a pretty good three-act story. And I'm curious how I feel tomorrow after watching the third episode. Because that's how I originally did it, was I watched the first three and then watched week to week, more or less. Yeah. Uh, why are you watching the next episode tomorrow? No, I'm not. Why, why would I watch it tomorrow? I meant next week. <laughs> yeah, because you just said tomorrow, dog. Oh, I'm not, I'm not watching it tomorrow. <laughs> you just said, I'm curious to see how I feel tomorrow after I watch the next one. Sorry, I mean I, how I feel next week after watching yeah. the next one. Because I've heard people say that the first three episodes are like a really good three-act story. Uh, but if I remember the next episode correctly... I don't. I don't, think... I don't remember it correctly. I don't remember what happens. There's one episode that sticks out to me... Other than that, I just remember the ending. <laughs> There's the episode where he spends the whole episode with that like other group of bounty hunters doing like a space mission. Oh yeah, I completely forgot about that. That I think is the, if I remember correctly, is the filler episode. Like, there's a couple things that matter out of that, but like, but no, I definitely think this is a show that is supposed to be enjoyed. We like, I think things start to run together if you watch it all in one thing. Yeah. But that's true with a But it lot makes of sense. Shows. They're trying they're going for a very retro thing here. Yes. It's also so expensive. Like watching it, the budget for this must have been astronomical. Yeah. I mean, I think for you a- give John Favreau whatever he wants. Yeah. I think you're like, "Oh, you made Iron Man? Yep. You can do whatever you want, John." Yeah, you made the Iron Man movies, you made the Lion King. You've made us a lot of money here, John. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> just have some fun. I love John Favreau, just in general, just as like a, a human being. Only John Favreau could have walked into the, not I me, mean, not only, there's a couple other people I think that could have done it, but only John Favreau could have walked into the pitch meeting for this with a storyboard and been like, I want to talk about the origin of the Yoda species and basically nothing else. <laughs> Except I don't want to talk about it. I also want a lot of Knights of the Old Republic references in my game, in my show. I mean, I'm sure that that was put, those were put in by somebody else. You think? I cannot fathom. I don't think John Favreau has the, like, the referential. I can't imagine John Favreau having the referential knowledge to make those references. I think that there well, are, are other writers that put things like that in. Mando's dagger is a Knights of the Old Republic weapon. Okay, that, that, that was almost certainly a prop person. Huh? If there's anybody, I'm sorry, if there's anybody working at LucasArts that has actually, like, the making these movies, that has actually played and enjoyed Knights of the Old Republic, it's the prop people. I think it's probably everybody. I mean, probably, but it's not John Favreau. <laughs> you don't think John Favreau's sat down to play a good 40-hour game? I don't think he has. <laughs> It's so long. Now, if dude. you if if, if this was Ryan so long, if this was Ryan Johnson making it, not only would we have like not only would I be able to say that like yeah he put the dagger in Mandalorian's hand, but there would also be like a GQ interview, a forty five minute interview about the dagger, <laughs> about the dagger, about the dagger that shows up like once in the whole series. Yeah, and Ryan Johnson being like, I really just you know I played Knights of the Old Republic when I was ten, and just it really resonated with me. I really enjoyed it, and I've held on to this memory my entire life. And you can also see the dagger here on the chair in Knives Out. <laughs> I would be very visible because it vibrates. <laughs> no, this is an absolutely wild call by John Favreau to write this the way he... Because I am certain that he was pitched the Mandalorian TV show, the idea of doing it, and they were and they were just like, make a show about the guy that looks like Boba Fett. And John Jango Favreau... Fett. What? He doesn't look like Boba, he looks like Jango. Okay. That's, that's all. That's the whole thing. I have very little confidence in the higher-ups at Disney actually knowing the difference. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. You got to remember, they were handed this property on a spoon. Like, I think Kathleen Kennedy or whatever her name is probably knows. Yeah. Yeah, the owner of Star Wars. But the other yeah, people... probably knows. <laughs> the people that were sitting around going... How can we, you know how can we light $200 million on fire to pitch our streaming series to the, I mean, our streaming network Do you think this costs $200 million? I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. It's eight episodes. I know. And there's, uh, there's so much set and. There's not though. Do you think it's all green screened? I know it's all green screened. Oh, I don't know. Oh yeah, no. This is this is a hundred percent. That's how Disney does things now. Well, yeah. Endgame was awesome and it was all green screened. So. There's, there's no rules anymore. It is already not held up for me. The green screen really? in Endgame. Every time I, I see... People keep talking about it, and every time I see stills from that last battle, I'm like, looks bad. Use a place. This looks bad. I can't believe Upstate New York was booked. It's so dark. It is very dark. I love that movie, though. I Oh, man. I thought that was a really fantastic film. It was. That, that's one I can't wait to share with my children. It's a pretty high barrier to entry. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start with you, Iron You Man. have to get them to sit through 21 other movies. <laughs> I think you probably get away with like Iron Man. What's like the most stripped down version you can do it? Iron Man, Captain America, Avengers, the Age of Ultron, Civil War. That's about to be the real question there. though is like, 
Because with, with Star Wars, there's an obvious, like, what order do you watch them in? Because there's you're going to ruin something either way. In Star Wars, you just watch release order. I don't know why this is a conversation. Okay, but you do know why it's a conversation. I know, because there's a chronology to it. Yes. You're. Let me make my point here before you just get all, like, whatever. And then people keep tr- people want to have the same conversation about the MCU. People There's like no people are desperate to have that conversation about the MCU, and they've made up this weird like chronological order. But like every movie ruins something for the next movie. You can't start with Captain America or Captain Marvel. You can't start with Captain America either. You probably could. That wouldn't matter as much. You cannot start with a late stage Phase Three movie. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like people are so desperate to have that conversation, but now you can have the conversation of like, how can I show Endgame to my children? Right. How do I get them from? What is the like? What is the Baby Shark order? I guess you do have to do Captain Marvel because otherwise there would be a scene in it, like a moment in Endgame that they'd be like, well, to get the last movie in the phase, you have to get every movie from the phase. Yeah, that's the point. I think building up to it, you do Iron Man and Captain America from Phase One. And then, of course, Avengers. And you just accept that Hulk is a part of it because you do the same thing with Black Widow and Hawkeye. Uh, Hulk and who else? Am I missing? Thor. Yeah, you just accept you get proper introductions to Black Widow and Hawkeye. Right, but you you don't need to watch Thor 1 and right. uh, Hulk. And then in Phase 2, you pretty much skip the whole thing. Just go straight to Age of Ultron, right? I don't necessarily know that you even need Age of Ultron. I think you want all the... You need, if anything, you need Guardians. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Guardian, you do Guardians and Age of Ultron. And then you pretty much do all of phase three. Yeah. Yeah. I think the important thing that connects how did Tony, like, I think Iron Man two and three are, are worth their time. Three more than two. Uh, but the important thing that connects, like that you need to know about Tony Stark is that he has developed from like terrible person to excellent person. And I think Civil War and Spider-Man explain that. Yeah. I just want to throw it out to, once again, to Ludwig Gornson for the music in this show. It's so good. It's so good. It's the exact same stuff that he does for Black Panther. Dude's going to run out of tricks here in a minute, but I still <laughs> love it. I love Black Panther. So, And, and, and I don't think he's going to run out of tricks. I think that he was like... I really went out on a limb for this, like, Killmonger music. And people really enjoyed it, but I should have been saving this the whole time. (laughs) Well, I think that can be a good final note for this week. Uh, I think we're about rap time. What do you think? I think so. But I just really enjoy the music, especially the theme song and the, like... That's my best way of doing it. Huh? Ba-boom. Yeah. I like this show. I do too. But I also like the, yeah, I like the weird little thing, the like flutey thing that plays like the Mandalorian, like a light motif. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. It's singing birds. He's a dove <laughs> in a flock of pigeons. Uh, hate that. <laughs> he's more like a pigeon in a flock of doves though. No, because he's, so, he's like a, he's like a bald know. eagle in a flock of peregrine falcons. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> I was going to say, they're definitely Falcons. You think Falcons? The Mandalorians are. Yeah. Because they are blind to anything other than kill the thing. You do the, the, It's a straight... They got blinders on. Yeah. And they get your best car. It's a good good metaphor with that hood they put on the Falcons. But he's not a Falcon. But he is some bird that can wreck... <laughs> yeah. No doubt about that. Anyway, this is a fun episode of the Monday Lorian. Um, if you like this show, keep listening to it. There are other shows like it on WBNE.org. I think if you really like this show, the one you're gonna like the most is all of them. But if you like like this specific segment of this show where we go a little bit more in depth than we normally do on Bacon and Eggs, the show show, you would really like Hello from Elsewhere, where Casey and Valerie, who are like way more qualified to go in depth on stuff, go in depth on stuff. Yeah. But more from like a literature point of view and less of like a filmmaking point of view they're very good at what they do yeah they do it is it is an incredibly underrated show
Yeah. So make sure you listen to Hello From Elsewhere. Make sure you go to iTunes and leave them a review. Make sure you tell your friends that you're busy because you're in Elsewhere. I believe be like, I believe that? Casey Winters is coming on the Monday Lorian next week. Next week. I believe you're right. I believe he is. Uh, and I think we're going to do more Star Wars content with Casey. Ooh. That's a preview for Down the Road. And I haven't talked to Casey about it yet, so he mm. might be like, no, I'm a very busy father. Down yeah. the Road, bad name for a Star Wars podcast. It is a bad name for a Star Wars podcast. I had a really good name for a podcast the other day. Oh, what was it? Oh, Ethan. Ethan, Ethan, Ethan. Ethan, Ethan, Ethan. It's gone. It's totally gone. No more podcasts. Mm. Man, if you can't name podcasts, we are well and truly fine. I did such a good job with bacon and eggs. You know what goes well with breakfast. You're good at naming things, movies. though, man. I like, am good at naming <laughs> This is, truth be told, straight up. This is the story. I mean, the, the the story of how Late to the Party got its name. Well, not actually not how, because you didn't name it. But there was a conversation I had with Jordan where she was like, we need a name. And I'm like, Tyler's on it. He's got it. He will come to me. Because I, I was like, he will come to me with gold in like the next four days. <laughs> and you just didn't. I feel like I put out a bunch of good different name options. Yeah. I don't... Not, not with your usual verve. Oh, well. None of them, none of them really hit. Because Becca named it. Becca did name it late to the party. But uh, I was like, I was like, just my, I got my guy on it. <laughs> I think we should have called it the uh, uh, D305. <laughs> it's not uh, always going to take place in Miami. Uh, roll for breakfast. Uh, oh, Scott's name was really good. Dinner rolls. I liked that one. I hated I that one. Cinnamon rolls would have worked well. Too. I didn't want it to be food related. Oh, but I love food. Anyway, that's all I've got this week. Do you have any additional comments? I do not. Well, we'll see you next week on the Monday Lorian. Probably with Casey, as long as scheduling doesn't conflict. Yeah, he's in a he's in Mountain Time. Let's so get on that knows? today. Yeah, let's talk to Casey. Uh, but until next week, I'm Tyler Carlin. Happy Ethan Bye. Bye.